we began this new preaching series for the month of July based on the book of Daniel, Dare to Stand Out. It's a four-part series. The first part of the series, Draw the Distinction, was about determine not to defile, relate well with people, aspire to excel in all things, and work better than others. The second message in the series, Arise in Faith. Face the crisis, ask for favor, intercede with the faithful, testify about God, and hold position for God's glory. Last week, the message was about resolve to stand. Serve God, take the resolve, anticipate God's help. Never compromise, dwell in God's constant presence. Today is the fourth and the final message in the series, Expect God's Deliverance. Before we start today's message, I would like to run through the book of Daniel. Daniel has 12 chapters. It's divided into stories and visions. The first six chapters are stories, and the last six chapters are visions. Six stories and four visions make up the entire book of Daniel. The first six chapters, which tell us the stories in the book, the first story, the four young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The second story is the forgotten dream, chapter 2. The third story is about the three Hebrew boys in the fire, the fiery furnace. The fourth story, a spectacular story that starts with King Nebuchadnezzar doing well and overcome by pride, losing everything to be a beast among the animals of the earth. Chapter 4, it's about how he goes mad. Chapter 5 is about Belshazzar's feast, the writing on the wall where it makes him weak and his knees knock in the end. He dies, and a new king, Darius, comes to power. Today's story is from chapter 6. It's about how King Darius establishes himself as a new king and how Daniel becomes a part of his government. You have to understand Daniel and the four, the three other boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were all brought to Babylon a little ahead of the exile. They were the first people to go to Babylon. He was about in his mid-teens when he went to Babylon. He's now about 85 when King Darius becomes king at age 62. He has been living in Babylon for about 70 years. He has served a succession of kings, and now he finds himself in the service of the new king, King Darius. Chapter 6 tells us King Darius appointed 120 satraps and over the whole kingdom, and these satraps were accountable to these three administrators of whom Daniel was one. Daniel possessed an extraordinary spirit, and he distinguished himself, so King Darius planned to appoint Daniel as administrator over the entire 
kingdom. The other administrators and the satraps did not like the idea. There was one problem. Even though they wanted to get Daniel into trouble, the problem was Daniel was neither corrupt nor negligent in carrying out his duties and responsibilities. So they became creative. They decided to invent something to get Daniel into trouble. The administrators, prefects, and the satraps, they went to King Darius with a suggestion. What was the suggestion? Issue a decree, great king, that all the prayers of all the people in the kingdom will be addressed to you instead of the various deities. They proposed that anyone who violated this rule, this decree, this injunction would be cast into a lion's den. They also reminded the king that any law signed by the king and proclaimed as law over the nation would be something that cannot be repealed or revoked according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. So the law was put into practice, as was its habit. Daniel, who prayed three times a day, went home, knelt in an upstairs room where a window opened up to Jerusalem and prayed. Praying while in captivity was a common experience for the Jewish exiles. We read this in Psalm 137 where it says, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Psalm 137 verses 5 and 6. So, as was his habit, Daniel is in the upper room with a window open facing Jerusalem praying, and that was what was needed. Daniel's accusers, and now the reason, the excuse that they had desired all along, a carefully plotted complaint. They reminded the king of his duty to uphold the law and throw Daniel into the lion's den. Upon hearing the accusation, the king, the text tells us, was deeply distressed. He knew where this was going. It was a law that he himself put into effect, and now this was going to get one of his most popular and favorite administrators in trouble. Even though he was distressed with himself and made several attempts to rescue Daniel, he was not successful. Before Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, the king assures Daniel. He says, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Once Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, the king went home, and he could neither eat nor sleep. The whole night he was awake because he was concerned about his friend Daniel. When he was close to the den the next day at the break of dawn, 
he cried out with a loud voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve constantly, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. I bet Darius was very relieved because he was expecting something dreadful to happen to Daniel. You would expect that if a man was thrown into a pit with lions in it. Daniel answers, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. I was found innocent before God, his God, whom he served constantly. I have not committed any crime even against you, King Darius. I have been found innocent in the eyes of my living God, and I want to assure you, great king, as your administrator, I have not violated any rule. I was praying as was my habit. The king was very pleased and ordered Daniel to be taken out of the den. They found no injury on him. I'm sure they looked very closely to see perhaps one of the lions in a burst of anger or hunger gnawed on Daniel's leg or chewed on a big toe. No harm was seen. No injury was found because, as the Bible tells us, he trusted in his God. He trusted in his God. Upon the orders of the king, all those who had maliciously accused Daniel, including their children and their wives, sad story, were cast into the lion's den. And the Bible tells us even before they reached the bottom of the pit, the lions pounced on them and crushed their bones. Soon after, the king went back to his palace and wrote another letter that was sent to the uttermost parts of his kingdom. He wrote to the entire kingdom saying, I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble the God of Daniel. Not the gods of Babylon, not the gods of Darius, not the gods of these various accusers of Daniel, the administrator, but fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. This was the letter he sent. Why? For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. This is not a prophet. This is not an Israelite. This is not someone who is a Jewish exile in Babylon writing these words. This is Darius, the king that is currently ruling over the kingdom. This is not a private conversation. This is official communication that is carried forth into the most distant parts of the empire. Darius is convinced there's something unique about Daniel's God, the living God of Daniel, who delivered Daniel 
from the lion's mouth. And as such, this decree ascertains that. He informs the entire kingdom, this is who Daniel is, but the greatest story is, this is who Daniel's God is. He is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. Furthermore, Darius says, he delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. This is one great letter. A Jewish exile in Babylon could not have written a better letter about God whom they serve. But God uses a pagan king to proclaim truth about him, his glory, his majesty. So everyone in the kingdom know who Daniel's God is and what he's capable of doing. Expect God's deliverance. Live with integrity Lead with distinction, nurture your faith, preserve your story, purify your motives. Live with integrity. Don't just live any ordinary life. Live a life of unimpeachable integrity. You should be popular for all the right reasons. Not notorious, that's a different kind of popularity. Popular. If people have a conversation about who is the most exemplary man or woman in the community, in that office, in the church, in that neighborhood, your name should come up. Your name should come up for all the right reasons, but not for the wrong reasons. Live with integrity. Two, lead with distinction. Don't just be a husband, be a loving Faithful, devoted, kind, compassionate, generous, loyal, doting husband. Don't just be a father, be a loving, assuring, providing, protecting father who serves as an example, because how our earthly fathers father us greatly determines our understanding of our heavenly father. If our earthly fathers do a poor job of fathering us, our understanding of our heavenly father is warped. 
It is important that our earthly fathers father us well. Live with integrity, lead with distinction, and nurture your faith. Grow it. Don't be content with what you have and who you are. Increase. How do you nurture your faith? Through prayer and through reading God's Word. Pray every day. Daniel's habit was, regardless of the decree of Darius, even though his life was in danger, as was his habit, he goes up to his room, faces the window that opens up to Jerusalem, and prays. Even if he knows possible death, painful death, in the lion's pit awaits him. He's not afraid of man. He fears God. Nurture your faith. You do not just nurture your faith by going to a Bible study or reading your Bible or talking about God once in a while when you have nothing else to talk about. You nourish your faith through fasting, through deep repentance, through confession to God and to one another, through the practice of spiritual disciplines. If the people that are closest to us cannot see spiritual growth in us, how will anyone else see it? Growth in our person, spiritual growth, must be first and foremost visible to the person closest to us. If a spouse or a child or a sibling or a parent or a best friend or a neighbor, someone you play pickup football with, or basketball with, or go swimming with, not now in the pandemic, but before. If they cannot see growth in us, who will? Have you ever gone back to school after a summer and your teachers recognized that you grew several inches in height? They're like, what happened? What did you eat? What did you do? You went home 5'4", now you're 6'2". What happened? We notice these things. We notice these things because we know who they used to look like and we know what they look like now. The people closest to us, if they do not see any change in us, we can insist that there is change, but that's just wishful thinking. Nurture your faith. Four, preserve your story. Our founding pastor, Pastor Chuck Quinley, and this ministry called Media Light, they started this new series called Telling Your Story and how stories are sacred. You can catch this series on Facebook at the Media Light Network, and you will not regret this. Our life is a story we tell. 
And we must preserve our stories. Because if we do not live well, then the story that our life tells is a sad story. It's a broken story. Our nature, our character, it's the content of the narrative that we produce. Anyone can tell a great story, but very few can live a great life that is one day going to be a great story. Preserve your story. Guard your testimony. When people see us, what do they think about God? If we claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ, and we have a conversation with a stranger who knows nothing about us, what does that conversation say about Jesus Christ? When people spend 15 minutes with you, what do they go home with? A whole lot of nothing or something about Jesus. Is the story of the Gospels available in a conversation with those who call themselves children of God, disciples of Jesus Christ? Preserve your story. How you and I live our lives is how we preserve our story. A poorly lived life is a badly told story. Our decisions in life, our choices in life, our direction in life communicates something to the people around us. And more importantly, to the people in our families. I could lead a spectacular Bible study, but if I do not honor God before my spouse and my children, if I do not honor God before my colleagues, before my superiors, and those that I'm responsible for, what does that say about the God whom I serve? Daniel, he preserved his story, so much so that the king was so worried about Daniel. He was deeply distressed. He could not sleep. At the break of day, he ran, and even before he reached the lion's den, he crowd, cried out with a loud voice, with a distressed voice, Daniel, did the God whom you serve, the living God whom you serve, was he able to rescue you? What a relief to hear Daniel answer that question. Great king, live forever. Oh, you're all right. Do you preserve your story? Or are we busy preserving something else? You can either preserve your reputation that does not last very long, or you can preserve your story by living life in a manner that pleases God. And finally, purify your motives. Why do we do what we do? What's the reason? Is there an ulterior motive? 
Is there a hidden agenda? Do we serve God because we expect something tangible out of Him? One more house, a faster car, a better job, a promotion, a raise. Something to enjoy in this life. Something to admire in these moments. What's the reason we preserve our story? To get something out of God or to give Him back the glory and honor due His holy name. Expect God's deliverance. When we study chapter 6 of Daniel, we realized Daniel, even though he's at an age where most people retire, 85 approximately, We no longer hear the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but Daniel, still there, king after king, is impressed with his service, with his story. There is something so unique about Daniel that every new king employed him, I want you to be part of my government. And here's Daniel, living a life that is so great that no one can avoid admiring how he lived his life. And even when he was thrown in the lion's den, he seems to be not bothered by it. You know why? Sometimes the most safe place is the lion's den. You're in the pit. And the mouth is shut off with a stone rolled over it. And there you are surrounded by wild things. But there, in the underground dungeon, in that pit, surrounded by things that ought to tear you apart, is the presence of God. If you follow God's sovereign will and plan for you, His presence follows you. Where God desires for you to go, He leads you as well. Expect God's deliverance. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And whoever would plan to draw near God, would come close to Him, must believe that God exists and that He rewards. He blesses those who seek Him. Our expectations are established on our faith. The greater our faith, the greater our expectations. But if we grew up in an environment where we have been spectacularly betrayed by one person and another person, especially those in authority over us, a parent, a sibling, a spouse, a friend, a child, a teacher, a pastor, 
a small group leader, a coach, someone in authority. If they fail us, we start to lower our expectations because every time we had great expectations, there has been a great letdown. So we train ourselves to expect less so that we would be disappointed less. The greater our expectations, the greater our disappointment. Expectation affects our learning. Expectations affect our perception of the world around us and the people in it. Expectation affects our hearing. Sometimes one thing is said, but we hear something entirely different because we're expecting to hear something else. Expectation determines our experience of God, of one another, and the world around us. Just as expectations determine our experience, our experience also influences our expectations. Someone who has been disappointed over and over again refuses to have any expectations because what's the point? I've been disappointed once, I've expected again, but I've been disappointed far too many times. I refuse to have any expectations. Now there is a new thing going on around the world. Don't expect anything. Appreciate everything. Easier said than done. The world we live in, expectations are a part of it. So experiences influence our expectations. Our expectations have power over us. Daniel had expectations. King Darius had expectations. The other administrators, the prefects, and the 120 satraps, they had their own expectations. They wanted Daniel dead so that he would never be the administrator over the entire kingdom, second in command, only second to King Darius. They manipulated the rules of the Medes and the Persians, and they connived against Daniel. They even pushed Darius into a corner to come up with a strategy to have Daniel destroyed. Their expectations did not pan out. Darius had his own expectations that God, whom Daniel served, would rescue Daniel from the lion's den. Daniel had his own expectations. If God can save me in Babylon, which was a bigger den of lions, God can also save me from these lions in the pit. Maybe chapter 6, and the story about Daniel in the lion's den speaks to you personally. Maybe you feel like you're in a lion's den. There are no real lions there, but it's just as dreadful and dangerous. Perhaps your job feels like a den of lions. 
for those of you stuck in a home with a verbally or physically abusive person. You feel like every day is a day in a lion's den. For those of you that struggle with anxiety and battle depression, others may not understand what you go through. And others may even say it is spiritual warfare, but your struggle is real to you. You feel like you're in a lion's den. Maybe your savings are depleted and life feels like a tunnel without any light in it. Not at the end, not at the start, not in the middle. And you suddenly realize, this is me. Daniel chapter 6 is the story of my life. It's the story of my health. It's the story of my marriage. It's the story of my rebellious children. It's the story of my failure. It's the story of my difficult job. It's the story of my wiped out finances. It's the story of my fragmented family. It's the story of my weakening faith. Your lion may be different. Your den may not be a hole in the ground. It might be a beautiful home. It might be a high-rise office. It might be a comfortable life. It might look like a happy marriage. It may look like a happy family. It may look like you are stable and secure financially, but your struggle is real, but only to you. Others do not see it. So you feel like you're surrounded by lions, and you don't know what to do. What's the Word of God saying to us? Expect God's deliverance. Why? He never fails. That's not in His nature. Failure might be a common experience for creation, for humankind, but for God, it's not. So as we nourish our faith, nurture our faith, and we preserve our story, and we clarify our path and purify our motives, we expect God's deliverance. And God will not fail to meet your expectations in as much as they are in keeping with His sovereign plan for your life and my life. Expect God's deliverance. Live with integrity. Lead with distinction. Nurture your faith. Preserve your story. Purify your motives. And after having done everything, wait. For they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Dare to stand out. 
How do we dare to stand out? We draw the distinction. We arise in faith. We resolve to stand. And we expect God's deliverance. Your experiences tell you, do not expect anything from anyone. But what's the Word of God saying to us? You can expect God's del deliverance. You can expect God's deliverance. Today, expect God's deliverance. So the question is, do you dare stand out? 